We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. You're not getting a lot of contributions out of a lot of guys right now, but why is Rodney Hood still in the rotation? Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, May 16th. Nick Wayland here with Alex Barutha. Uh, we're going to do a two-parter, a quick two-parter today. Um, you and I are going to break down the atrocities that were committed in the second half uh, in Boston, Massachusetts last night. Uh, we'll talk game one of the Warriors Rocket Series, preview tonight's game two, and then I'll have James Anderson Hop on to do a quick combine preview. Um, the media portion of that, of course, begins tomorrow and wraps up Friday night. So we'll be there covering that. Um, a lot of fun stuff always goes down there. Um, but let's talk about the playoffs first. I sent you a, a string of <clears throat> incoherent messages this you morning um, after the Cavs turned in i mean one of the worst i wouldn't even say it was a meltdown like that was that was the word i kept seeing last night was it was a second half meltdown uh and i guess i mean they did blow a double digit lead but you also never really felt like the Cavs 
at least I didn't really feel like the Cavs were in control of that game I think they had the lead up to 11 12 13 something like that with about a minute or two left in the second quarter um and then they had a couple bad turnovers to close that period um Boston I think Marcus Smart had a steal just before the buzzer and a layup um that that brought Boston within five or, or seven and then you know as has been the case for much of the year with the Cavs they struggled in the third quarter LeBron never really looked quite like himself uh, after taking that hit to the head in the second quarter. Um, but at the same time, I mean, after what we saw in game one, this shouldn't be all that surprising. I mean, this is the same story. Um, you know, the Cavs were able to turn it on against Toronto, which I guess in retrospect says a hell of a lot more about Toronto than it does uh, Cleveland. Um, but I mean, after last night, I have no faith whatsoever, uh, that Cleveland is going to even make this a series. I I don't see how that's possible. Yeah. I think the only, you know, I think the only thing you can maybe say about the Cavaliers possibly raggling off one or two wins at home is that the Celtics have played like out of their minds at home throughout the playoffs. True. Like we kind of saw the series against Milwaukee. Every team just ended up winning the home games. Um, which I think can be a case with right. young teams. It turns um, out Milwaukee's the second best team in the East, by the way. That that's yeah. the silver lining here. Yeah. Joe Prunty. Right. <laughs> the Celtics took Joe Prunty to seven. <laughs> um but yeah, like you mentioned, I it's just it's just the same stuff over and over again for the Cavs. It's LeBron James having to put up a f- basically a forty point I mean, not basically, literally a forty point triple double. Um while great shooting percentages like everything else and then he gets one other person to score in double digits it's kevin love um who actually was was good he was really good he's making a lot of good like cuts off ball towards the rim they're running some like action which i they really just i feel like they haven't done all year to get him easy Mm -hmm. buckets um so i guess that's something to look forward to going into cleveland I I mean you got to give more I think more credit is due to Boston um you know the way once the series is over it's going to be framed as you know LeBron's sporting cast let him down which don't get me wrong that has absolutely <laughs> been the case I I think last night I, I try to be reasonable about these things like that was the worst game I've ever seen J.R. Smith play I've seen J.R. Smith I've watched almost every Cavaliers game these last few years every LeBron playoff game probably since I don't even know 2010 that was as bad as he's ever played on both ends zero points a really bad flagrant that he should have been ejected for yep. late in that game some horrible turnovers three or four times getting lost on defense um leading to open shots for boston but <clears throat> i mean the original point i wanted to make is that boston's guys whether it's terry uh terry rosier jalen brown jason tatum guys who we you know traditionally you don't expect guys in their first second third year to be playing like this I mean, they're they're legitimate. I don't know how much credit you want to give to Brad Stevens for that, but you know, it's not like this is just these rookies getting hot and then having this magical run. Like they've been doing this for most of the year. Uh, Jason Tatum would be easily the second best player on the Cavs. So would Jalen Brown, and for much of these playoffs, so would Terry Rozier. Um, and they've you know, without Kyrie and without Gordon Hayward, they've been just as good, I think, as you'd expect. Even if they had Kyrie you know, Hayward aside, even if they had Kyrie going into round one, I think it would have been somewhat of a surprise if you if you would have said they'll be up 2-0 on Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right about that. And um, I think we're kind of just seeing like how um, just defensively the Cavs, I mean, all, all, most of the Cavs players can guard maybe one, two positions, 
Wow. Some, uh, most some, I would say zero. Some <laughs> can guard one, some can guard two. Like you, you complicate, like even when they go ahead and they start Tristan Thompson at center, it's like, well, then LeBron James has to be on the perimeter. And then it's if mm-hmm. they start Kevin Love at center, it's like, well, now Kevin Love can't guard at Horford. Yeah. Um, Which and was, I, again, the case last night. Again, the case. And the Celtics are pretty much the opposite of that, where everyone in the starting lineup can guard three positions. I mean, Rozier might not really be able to guard you know, small forwards, but it, they can just switch everything. And the, the Cavs don't run enough of a complicated offense for that to for the switching to for any miscommunication to happen for boston it's really just easy for them every game to be like oh we're going to switch this and there's no confusion anywhere the Cavs don't have anyone outside of lebron james who can beat anyone off the dribble that's not an exaggeration like if you watch last night george hill there was one possession in the first quarter where he had rosier one-on-one tried tried to go left got shut off tried to go right got shut off Instead of passing, he didn't, nobody else touched the ball the entire possession, got Horford switched out onto him, tried to take him, tried to go baseline and reverse it. Horford blocked it as the shot clock expired. I mean, that, if George Hill can't get by Al Horford, you know, that's, that's going to be the end of it because JR has completely lost the ability to do anything yeah. on offense. Uh, Kyle Korver, you know, not a guy you'd ever expect to do that. Like we said, Kevin Love was good. He, he had a lot of his points off of cuts, yeah. off of getting to the line, I'd, but that's what I mean. If Kevin Love plays like that, and even in game one, he was fine. Like, he hasn't been the issue whatsoever. Um, LeBron's line was great. Still, outside of the first quarter, didn't feel like a, a dominant LeBron performance. Had a lot of sloppy turnovers, as was the case in game one. Yeah. I think he, he kind of went into... Uh, I, don't, I can't really say that word on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> blanket uh, mode yeah. um, for the second half of that game. Like at one point it looked like, I'm like, is he going to shoot 23s? He might just take 23s because... He took a couple like 30 footers. Yeah, he, yeah, that's when you know, like LeBron, and that happens in the final. The, each of the last couple <laughs> of finals when he really, when he realizes they're not going to win, he just starts taking those threes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, I mean, there was a point he had more threes made in the first quarter of last night's game than he had the entire four games against toronto and to me that that you know it, it's clear that his his game in these playoffs wasn't going to be shooting threes he shot it really poorly against indiana completely went away from it against toronto and, and was able to beat them up in the mid-range and at the rim boston the single most impressive thing to me about them is the way that they close on shooters and then prevent guys from getting to the hole i mean how many times last right. night did you see a, a swing where tristan thompson comes flying out on al horford gets beat for a layup or a kick out with Boston, that doesn't happen. I mean, they, they gave up maybe three wide-open looks the entire night, which for a Cavs team that has a passer like LeBron is insane. I mean, how many times against Toronto did we see that Love-Corver two-man action, and they just couldn't figure it out? It led to a number of Kevin Love layups, a yeah. number of wide-open looks for Corver. Like, even when Boston messes up, they're so athletic, they're so long. Guys like Jalen Brown can get out there close out and not sell out so hard that they're contesting a shot and, and giving up a layup if you fake it you know they're in position it's a good fundamental closeout where they're shutting off the possibility of the shot and the drive and i mean i don't know if that's going to work against a golden state team that's incredibly more dynamic than cleveland is on offense but right. i will say i think the celtics are going to give the warriors a better series than the Cavs would have it's still going to be a four-game series, but I think it will it will be much less embarrassing for the Celtics than it would have been. Like, imagine yeah. what the Warriors would have done to this Cavs team after watching them the last two games. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I can't imagine. They would. I legitimately think they would have lost every game by twenty points. Right. I mean, how is that? Possible. How would that work? Might have might have been like fifteen at home. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said at Boston, they're one of those teams you never see anyone just like flying past no. with their arms up, jumping like basically into the bench, trying to mm-hmm. contest a shot. Like they're very like it's it's a little stereotypical like brad stevens the college coach like teaches probably has them do like close out drills where they shuffle their feet like really fast when they're closing out and don't let just prevent the drive i it's 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 enough to bother the the shooters on the Cavs who outside of corver aren't really like shooters like no george hill not a shooter jr smith i don't even know what he is at this point um jeff green is like probably their second best on ball creator which jeff it, green managed to commit five turnovers last night i felt like he was on the floor did. for like 10 minutes but, and i'm sure it was more than that i mean but. that's yeah if he's minus 17 five turnovers that's a problem when he's insane when jeff green is your second best creator right. with the ball in his hands i mean kevin love can do stuff but i mean that's just not what he mm-hmm. they never that's just not who he is at this point anymore one of the few highlights for the Cavs that you've probably seen um even if you didn't watch the game was the chase down on on rosier where he batted it off the backboard and it you know went out of bounds yeah the only reason that that happened was because jeff green literally turned around <laughs> and handed the ball to terry rosier and lebron right. had to go chase him down and block it like it was it was a comedy of errors honestly and i think and you know this was something that was that was said on twitter and you know was said during the indiana series it was like you can you can tell when lebron hits that point where he just knows and at least now like you know back in the the pre-2010s whatever you want to call it, the 2000s decade like when this would happen it would fall on lebron now i think we've reached the point where he's not immune to criticism because you know he'll never reach that that jordan type of level where there was just you know unanimous respect from right. everybody um but i think he he probably knows like look i've i've done all i can the numbers are going to look good these guys are <laughs> horrific uh, and I do wonder, like, what do you expect to see? Like, what version of LeBron is going to come out in games three and game four in, in Cleveland? I mean, that's maybe, I mean, they probably win one of those games, I guess. Um, uh, yeah. I assume they do just because of, like, I I really do think, like, Boston at home is a completely different yeah. team. But I, I, like the, I like the version of LeBron that's, like, really passive-aggressive for the first quarter mm-hmm. and just, like, fires passes to his teammates who are often very open and just they continue they just break shots over and over and then the second quarter comes around he gets Mm -hmm. subbed into the game after like not playing for the first two minutes or whatever and then he just is like you know i'm taking 30 shots Mm -hmm. in three quarters i even thought you know last time obviously concussions are are treated much differently now than they were even a few years ago but like i to me like lebron if he if he felt like they had a chance in that game, wouldn't have left the game for as long as he did, you know. Like I, th- I think he would have. He had put up like no resistance. Like yeah, I'll go walk back to the locker room. There was no urgency, you know. Like we didn't even know for a while if he was going to come back. It was what did they call it a neck strain? Neck strain. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which again, like I mean, he I'm sure he recognizes the importance of you know, next you know identifying a concussion <laughs> if that was the if that was the case, but. It was just like a, a striking lack of urgency. And at that point, I was like, yeah, I think he knows what's what's about to happen here. Um, that was really, I think, when you felt the, like, when the supporting cast was just trying to, like, hold it together. <laughs> just just hold it together. Right. Like, only only go down minus, only have, like, a minus five differential while LeBron's out. They couldn't. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Could not do it. Uh, I mean, the first possession of the game last night was a really nice set play where they I think they got it to LeBron near the block and he lobbed one up for Tristan Thompson, what should have been an easy dunk right, right through Thompson's hands out of bounds. <laughs> and like right then and there, you know, LeBron gave Thompson that look for 15 seconds into the game. He just kind of knew it was going to be uh, one of those nights. So 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fully ready to say the Cavs are going to lose the series. I don't know how many games they're going to lose it in, uh, but you know, to have to beat the Celtics now four out of the next five or four out of the next five games. Yeah, yeah. How, that doesn't add up, right? Yeah, I don't know. No, it doesn't. I don't know. What, I don't know what I'm talking about. But either way, they're they're not going to win the series. I, I think uh, I think Boston, Golden State, in some ways, will be a lot of fun because it's just going to be a complete like all these series have been Boston kind of winging it. And yeah, this is going to be the ultimate, you know, wing it series. And, um, you know, I mean, like I said, I think it'll end up being a better, more competitive series, uh, albeit one that Golden State really isn't all that challenged in. No. Speaking of the Warriors, um, game one to me was that I have it written here on our notes was the the quintessential Golden State Warriors game where right. Houston, you know, they I think they ended the first half on back-to-back hardened dunks where he had he had that huge lefty drive and dunk mm-hmm. they got a steal and a run out crowds going insane you know i'm sitting here thinking to myself i was told that the rockets crowd wasn't good <laughs> this seems awesome and then you look at the scoreboard and they go in up three yeah and you know i think it was marcus thompson who i believe works for the athletic now was was on a podcast yesterday talking about this and he was just like yeah i mean you could tell talking to the guys after the game unless they're getting blown out at by halftime you know he's like that's when you, when the warriors get beat they really get beat they very rarely lose a close game you know right. it's, it's a game where they just kind of they realize they they don't have it that night you know maybe they'll try to make their run if they can't do it it's over and they'll, pull, it they'll pull the guys early but he was like yeah three-point game at halftime there was no trepidation they knew they were gonna win they came out had their run in the third you know went up eight or nine and i don't i don't think it ever came within seven after that and you know for the rockets to basically play the Warriors even from three. I think they had the same number of made threes on a relatively similar number of attempts. Yeah. Harden had 42. Chris Paul wasn't great, but he was still pretty good. Um, you know, for it to for it to end like that, where it felt like a game that maybe Houston maybe not shouldn't have won, but against 28 other teams, you know, on a given night, they probably win that game if they play like that. Um, now, now, obviously, they have to win game two if they want to make this a real series. Yeah, and I think they Trevor Ariza basically fouled out of the game. I think he got five fouls in the third quarter. He had a bad quarter. one. I don't know if it was in the. I think it was late in the second where they called him for a reach on Curry. Okay, and, it, and you could clearly see in the replay Curry just dribbled it off his foot. I think that was his third. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so I mean, and they they really need Ariza because I mean they have you know they kind of have that like three forward rotation going with Ariza, Tucker, Bamute. But the fact, like, Bamute still just really doesn't seem like himself after the shoulder injury. Like, he mm-hmm. went 0 of 6. He shot 0 of 2 from 3. Hasn't been, like... He's basically providing zero offense at this point. And so if you lose Ariza, the only forward you're getting offense from is P.J. Tucker, who is the probably the worst... The, on, the, on the tier is, like, the, the second-to-worst guy mm-hmm. of the three after that yeah you just have to iso james hargan the whole game against you have to get the switch with steph curry because that's what they did the entire game and then hargan just tries to take it to curry for the entire possession mm-hmm. um but <laughs> they're just i mean the rockets are one or two pieces short like think of i mean they're a 65 win team and it's not even close i think i i really i really could not believe and you know revisionist history i guess makes this seem a little bit easier but like i could not believe how many people like <clears throat> smart people who are much smarter than i am were like we're convinced that the rockets were going to win the series like it's it's four hall of famers against two hall of famers and 
two of the four are better than the top guy on the other team you know and the I've coaches in, in the coach <laughs> sure the coaches um the bench i mean and the, the fifth starter is a borderline hall of famers himself i mean i, I think we we got sucked into the Warriors coasting for an entire season, just like we used to get sucked into the Heat coasting yeah. and the Cavs coasting. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, they, I, I don't even know. Like you said, the, the, the Rockets, I mean, like I, I thought it was, I thought the Rockets could beat the Warriors, but they wouldn't be able to do it less than seven games, less than seven games. And it would take like, I think I've mentioned like literally a historic It would have to play out like the 2016 finals yeah right it would take something like a suspension or you know just a weird series of games where curry just you know was off but also in 2016 they didn't have the second best player in the world you know that's the big wrinkle (laughs) is like we we look back and we're like well the warriors did lose to the Cavs. they are vulnerable like no they're not vulnerable because they added kevin durant since they just replaced harrison barnes they replaced yeah the guy like harrison barnes shot like 10 percent in that series and missed every open three possible you're replacing him you're not replacing him with Trevor Ariza or like a league average three. You're replacing him with literally the best forward, you know, in the league, not named LeBron James. So, and a guy who's a better fit on that team than LeBron even, even would be. So yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's literally every player on the Warriors was a plus and plus minus except Iggy, who was plus zero, which is not minus. He hasn't been great in these last few games, but, but still seven of eight from the free throw line, which is surprising. Mm -hmm. He was at least getting, he was at least being playing aggressive, which, you know, yeah, I, I just, I mean, the Warriors, the story with them is the, the room or the, the room for error is just so large. They're going to beat them themselves. That, like, yeah, like even like so many things have to go wrong for them to to lose one game, let alone lose four out of seven games, you know, against a team that you can, you can scheme against, you can tighten your rotations against. I, uh, I mean, we'll see. I mean, for all, maybe, maybe Houston comes out and blitzes them in game two and, and all this is moot, but I, uh, I think this probably ends in five. Yeah, five or six. I think I I can't remember if I said five or six originally. I think I had both series with six games. The thing with them though is like you know you tend to assume that Golden State just has home court, but you're like if they don't if they if Golden State wins game two, I it's really hard for me to like confidently say Houston's going to win one of those in Oakland. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, good yeah. time to be a Warriors fan. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Durant looked unstoppable. Like I know they got like all these wing players to like yeah. try to stop Kevin Durant, but like unless the wing player is also six foot ten, six foot eleven, I, I don't. He's not bothered by hand in his face at all because it's mm-hmm. not even in his face when he jumps. No, he was <laughs> he just shoots he's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I it's really going to be complicated to. And this was a discussion too that was happening on, on Twitter last night. It was like how how do you separate Durant's legacy from his decision to join the Warriors, you know, I saw some Warriors writers were, were talking about how difficult it is even to evaluate Curry now. You yeah. know, like there's just no precedent for anything like this. I, I mean, Curry is, I'm, I'm fine with just saying Curry is like, a, I mean, he's clearly amazing. I, yeah. Like, oh, I don't think he's going to end up big. being one of the best players of all time. Like, I, I don't feel that way. I, I feel, I understand the Durant thing. I don't feel that way about Curry at all. I think Curry's like already cemented like oh, yeah. what he needed to do to, I think his legacy or whatever you want to call it is fine. Durant, it is a little tougher. Like the, I think the only way, I think the only way that a lot of people are going to be, would be able to like separate this is if he left Mm -hmm. or something happened and he did the, he, he essentially did this sort of thing with his own team, quote unquote. The thing, well, the thing too about Curry is like Curry was never going to be in the greatest player ever discussion 
because right. be, mostly because one he was he was older when he came into the league he had the injuries like his prime his statistical prime like didn't really begin until he was like 26 yeah. so like you know any he's not he's not going to be up there on the all-time leaderboards like for him i think his legacy ceiling was always going to be capped like you know defensively you know like if you're going to be one of the two or three greatest players ever you can't be a minus on d and stuff like that whereas like durant two years ago I certainly wouldn't have bet on him, you know, ever attaining the the Jordan LeBron status where you're actually talking about him as maybe on that level. But his decision to join Golden State, I think, just ruled that out. Like that'll never, nobody, we won't ever be able to look past it. Even if he wins five titles in five years, I, I still just don't know. I, I think people are still going to hold it against him. Yeah, because he's he is going to turn thirty, I think, next season. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't, I mean, his prime is like, I mean, I, I don't know. Cause Durant, he's, he's, he doesn't use his athleticism. He doesn't like rely on his, he is very athletic cause he's skinny. He's fat, mm-hmm. like, but he doesn't, you know, he's not, I don't think he'll fall off a cliff because he's no. still, he's one of the best shooters in the league. He's going to end up right. being one of the most efficient shooters of all time, which probably even would have been the case had he not joined Golden State. Right. I mean, had he just stayed on OKC, he still would have ended up being one, of, I mean, one of the most efficient yeah. I guess. in terms of pure like top end talent I, I think he's he's probably a top five guy yeah I, especially with the way he's played defense the last few years are you, wait are you saying all time or? i'm saying all time i'm yeah, sure uh, i mean there's certainly it's up for debate it, but it's we had that discussion earlier when people when it was like who's like they had uh jordan uh lebron and kobe <laughs> that thing going on and i'm like kevin durant's better than <laughs> he's kobe. already better than kobe. Like, <laughs> that's not that's not up for debate <laughs> Uh, all right um good chat what's your prediction for tonight um i i'm gonna go golden state okay yeah same here i think it plays out pretty similarly i mean houston probably doesn't get off to that fast start um i don't think it'll be a blowout i I think i think chris paul will be a little bit better um but yeah I, i think golden state by somewhere between eight and 15 points yeah fair enough All right, I'm now joined by James Anderson, who has focused almost entirely on baseball for these last couple of months, but you and I will be heading to Chicago tomorrow morning for the NBA Combine, and we already found out today that players are starting to drop out, which is, as it's worked the last couple of years, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Robert Williams apparently will no longer be there. Aiton and Doncic will not be attending, but as far as we're aware, pretty much every other relevant prospect uh will allegedly be in attendance tomorrow um but we had the lottery last night um now we have a little bit of a better gauge you know as to how to project the the top of this lottery although at the same time like i I don't think that anything that happened last night you know makes you say wow i think this guy you know who i had seventh on my board could now go number two like for the most part it does seem like there's not a consensus you know among the lottery teams but i think it's Aiton and Doncic, one, two in some order. Pretty much everyone I would imagine has has Jaron Jackson in the three, four, five range. Um, you know, I guess I know you didn't watch lottery due to a sporting event uh, that you were participating in. Uh, but Phoenix getting the number one pick. Does the hiring of the coach who used to coach Doncic overseas to use that is that an inkling of where they're leaning at all? 
to me, that's way more of an inkling of where they're leaning than the fact that DeAndre Ayton went to University of Arizona right. and Robert Sarver has like ties to the program. Like I, to me, as a person that was rooting for that Arizona team, like I don't look at that team as like, oh, what a I gotta gotta get one of those guys on my team. You know, like right. I don't think there are a ton of fond feelings between like Suns fans and that Arizona team. I, I right. really don't think that that's relevant at all, but I do think the hiring of uh, a guy that's mm. very familiar with Doncic is important to the discussion. Uh, right. I think that in the end, I just am going to assume they're going to take the guy that I think the best that think is the best player. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's, that's Doncic. I think he is the safest player in the draft. Uh, and I think he would fit perfectly with Devin Booker because they could go with these really big lineups where those two guys just kind of handled all the ball handling. Uh, would allow Booker to get a lot cleaner looks than he's used to. Um, but I mean that it's it's really nice to have, be in that top two. I mean, the, there's there's it's it's a it's a tough top two to screw up. I think the the big question to me is what do the Hawks do at three? Because, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they went in, you know, four or five different directions at three. I think that's where the draft is really going to kind of unfold mm-hmm. because we can assume that whoever the Suns don't take out of Aiton and Doncic is going to the Kings. And then at three, like, you know, Marvin Bagley to me kind of seems a lot like John Collins. Uh, maybe they would prefer to get a defensive-minded player, but they're also lacking kind of a number one ball handler, shot creator guy, like it, they, they could really go any direction. No, I agree. I I think Atlanta would have made sense for Trey young if they were picking at like seven or eight, you know, but at three, like I think eight and or Don, Doncic was the best fit for Atlanta. That's where I, as a, as a fan of the wonder boy, Atlanta was my preferred destination for him. Yeah. I think that would have made a ton of sense. Like you said, Marvin Bagley to me is very similar to John Collins. That would be a wasted pick. I um, mean, Jaron Jackson, I guess for them does make sense. Um, you know, I don't think they're like extremely tied to Dwayne Dedman long-term and they have a decent piece in Torian Prince, another decent piece in John Collins. But I think whoever they get at three is immediately going to be the centerpiece uh, of this rebuild. And assuming Dennis Schroeder is probably out of there after yesterday's antics, um, Memphis at four, probably the biggest loser uh, of draft night. So Sacramento moved up five spots to number two. Atlanta moved up one spot to three. That meant Memphis and Dallas, who were second and third in the in the odds, respectively, uh, moved down to fourth and fifth. Memphis really needed, I think, one of those top two picks. And now I do wonder. I mean, the Mavs did too. Well, the, yeah, certainly yeah, the Mavs I mean, did. Um, I mean, but to me, like Memphis is the only team. But if if LeBron leaves Cleveland, they're the only team in the top nine that's not really like in a full rebuild right now. Well, I think they're they might be the most delusional team in the top nine, though. And like that, the Kings that, are in the top nine. Well, I mean, the Kings aren't planning on making the playoffs next year. Like the Grizzlies, I think they? think they're going to make the playoffs next year. Like and and so that to me that like I I just I think the Grizzlies are going to take Marvin Bagley if he's there. I think that that's just a match made in heaven for what they think they are and like what they might think Bagley right. is you know I agree I know you and I are not high on Bagley if, if you can tell by the cadence of that sentence but I, I like Aiton and Dodgers would have made sense for them because those guys are going to be good right away Dodgers especially I think is going to be good right away and he could have one like helped them actually maybe get back to the playoffs well also 
you know, kind of learning alongside Conley before kind of ushering in the next generation once Conley and Gasol are gone. And like Memphis is going to try to make the playoffs. Memphis loses their pick next year if it falls outside the top eight. So like if you're Memphis, you want to win as many games as possible, get that pick to Boston next year because it's only top six protected in 2020 and then it's completely unprotected in 2021. So you obviously you want to avoid a situation where you're ever handing over an unprotected pick. Um, and like, I do wonder now like, if they're not in love with Bagley, if they were really set on one of those top two and planning on being in the top two and now they're not like if there's a team that wants to move up to four, they're probably the team I, I would say is most likely to make a trade. You know, I don't, I don't know what that would even look like, but they're, they're the team to me that wants to get back to the playoffs and would make a short sighted win now move more so than Atlanta or Dallas would. One of the things that fascinates me a lot about this class specifically is that, you know, the team picking three or the team picking four might have the guy that's third on their board could be like sixth or seventh on someone else's board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maneuvering from three or four to six or seven, if you can kind of convince the team's like the magic or the bulls or the calves, like, like we're going to take this, like he's not going to be there, like blah, blah, blah. And you move back. Like, like what if like Mo Bamba is third on your board or Michael Porter's third on your board and you're picking third or fourth? Like, is there really, is there value in not trying to trade back? Like, are you just scared that? No, you're right. I think as long as you are pretty confident, like if you're Atlanta and you really want Bamba and you know Memphis wants Bagley and you know Dallas wants Porter, you know, I think, yeah, you try to get down to get down to five or get down to six. I mean, it's kind of like this this past NFL draft with quarterbacks, you know, like if you you just try to sniff out what other quarterback needy teams want, you have your guy, um, you know, if you like Josh Allen or whatever, you move down and get him. And I think you're right. I think there is this this top two Doncic and, and Aiton have kind of separated themselves. Although I don't think that's a done deal. Like it wouldn't shock me if in the next month, Jaron Jackson, you know, starts working his way into that, who knows? Um, but then, yeah, I mean, guys three through nine, like you said, I think you could, you could kind of put them in any order depending on what team. See, I don't think that anyone's going to work their way into that top two, because I think the general managers of the top two teams don't have the job security security to pass on one of those two and miss mm-hmm. and keep their job like if you pass on Don or and, and you're picking top two and it doesn't work out you need to have like Danny Ainge level job security mm-hmm. for that not to come back to bite you so I I don't really see anyone sneaking in there but I like I am very I'm very confident that there are teams that have like Wendell Carter in their top four or Colin Sexton in their top five. Like I think that the valuations of the top eight or nine players in this draft after the top two are just going to be all over the map. And I think that that could lead to some trading. Yes, I, uh, I fully agree. So Cleveland, I think really needed this pick to jump into the top three. Uh, obviously that did not happen. So they, suffer a horrific loss um in game two just hours after learning that their pick will in fact fall eighth i i I think they needed it to jump into the top three for trade purposes like if if you really want to keep lebron you needed to have a very valuable pick to to dangle to try to get him more help i don't even though this is a, a fairly deep you know top tier top two tiers i don't think eight gets it done because that might be the final of the you know of the elite guys and you know, there's a pretty good chance that 
you know, whatever team would be willing to deal with Cleveland, the guy that they want is probably going to be off the board at number eight. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends. What, to me, it kind of depends whether you count. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I think there is a, to me, there's a clear top nine. And then, like, that's when Trey Young and Miles Bridges kind of come in. Uh, is that not your read on it? Like, do you? But, like, I don't think nobody's going to trade, like, what LeBron would be con- would consider, sure. like, a good asset to get Miles Bridges. And if Trey uh, Young's there, maybe. That would be, the I guess, the ultimate scenario. I just, I don't know if he puts it there. I also just, well, I'm kind of to the point where I'd think that there's about a 0% chance LeBron goes back to the Cavs. Uh, like, yeah, I, I just correct. don't think that there's... I think the the number eight pick and LeBron at this point have almost zero connection, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it matters. Like I think maybe if they are delusional enough to think they can get him, they'll like take McCall Bridges if he's there because they think that that's gonna somehow sway him into staying. Right. But uh, I think he's just gonna go to a roster that does not have Jordan Clarkson on it. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson did not play last <laughs> night. Thankfully, my cries were were finally heard. Um, okay, real quickly, the, the league did send out the list um, of official Combine guys. Is there anyone, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with the Combine, nobody who's going in the lottery is going to scrimmage. You know, some of those guys will show up for interviews, they'll get measured, they'll go through some agility testing. Some guys opt out of that entirely. Uh, but is there anybody, you know, on this list who's projected in the 20 to 60 range that you're, you're legitimately excited to watch tomorrow besides Raleigh Alkins? <laughs> um is there what are the odds like percentage chance i'm going to name some players and you give me the percentage chance that they scrimmage okay uh zaire smith should be zero all right um how about Kata bates jack see i i wrote in my last combine primer or whatever like he to me i think he's like the cutoff you know I, that could go either way anybody who's projected behind him probably scrimmages he's I think he probably will upperclassmen, you know, like I don't think he has like a ton to lose by scrimmaging Troy Brown. Mm, probably. Yeah. Um, like we assume like guys like Kyrie Thomas are going to scrimmage presumably. I would Jonte hope Porter. so. Jonte Porter. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, for, so like in past years to give an example, like the cutoff is usually a guy like, like Kyle Kuzma scrimmage last year played well on day one and then just didn't come right. back to day two because he had already gotten what he needed to do. And I think that that's the best thing about going to the combine to me by far is the scrimmage, even though we're missing out on like the clear like top 18 or so guys going in. There's always a guy or two that ends up impressing and maybe not even going as high as they should, but Mm -hmm. becoming a relevant player as a rookie. I mean, like you mentioned Kuzma. um, I think Frank Mason last year, not that that was all that much of a surprise, but just like watching him eat Mello Trimble's lunch over and over. You know, we got to see Semi Ojale scrimmage, and he's like been a rotation player on a conference final team. Ben Bentel a couple years ago. I was pretty (laughs) pretty convinced that he was going to be a superstar after that. Yeah. Um, Um, So like – the guy the type of guys that i always sort of expect to play well like i expect jalen brunson to scrimmage really well and i expect Devontae graham to scrimmage really well and uh even like malik newman i would expect to scrimmage pretty well like the the types of guys that are from like bigger programs have had a lot of spotlight on them 
uh, have played in some tough games. Like right. they're going to be ready for that moment. Whereas like some of the mm-hmm. smaller school guys uh, that don't usually play with the ball in their hands, like sometimes get exposed a little bit. Yep. Uh, I remember like last year we were uh, kind of laughing at Dylan Brooks while he was scrimmaging and uh, he ended up somehow carving out <laughs> carving out a, a rotation spot all I, season long. I'm still not sold on him. No, I'm, I'm not I either. I understand how that happened. But, but like, no, you're right. You are right. Like, of all the players we saw scrimmage, I think Dylan Brooks was the one we probably made fun of the most um, while we were watching. And Well, he, that's because he was playing <laughs> Dylan Brooks' ball in a setting where you just yeah. don't necessarily... Like, the best players of the comment are not the guys who are just chucking threes. You know, mm-hmm. it's the and guys... And he's, he's got a comically short wingspan, right. which is... It's funny great. when a guy's wingspan's so short that you can like notice right, how short exactly. it is. Short it is. I remember, yeah, we saw him and we're like, "This is this is going to be crazy." He hadn't even gotten <laughs> measured yet. We're like, I can't wait to see what this measurement is. Somehow, like a second round pick's wingspan became this like suspenseful reveal. Um, I'm pretty excited to see Billy Preston. I completely forgot that Billy Preston existed. You may remember him as the five star big man who went to Kansas got caught driving an illegal car because he ah. crashed it and mm. then just left mid-year and basically has been training for the draft. So, I I mean, I don't think he's going to go in round one by any means, but, I mean, he's somebody talent-wise that I think somebody in the second round is, is going to take a look at and just toss in the G League for a couple of years. Um, Landry Shamit. I mean, those, like you said, those are the type of players. Like, veteran college players are, are fun to watch in this setting. I could, I could see... Uh, I could see Dante DiVincenzo being this year's Kuzma where maybe he stops playing after, after one game or, or maybe like Mo Wagner. Like I'm trying to think of guys that uh, just kind of have the potential yeah. to really impress in like a, a setting like that and boost their stock. I think like Aaron holiday, if he, if he scrimmages, you know, he's somebody that, put up really big numbers for a team that wasn't all that good and just kind of got overshadowed. Um, I don't see, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say like in retrospect, we weren't sitting here on the pot last year talking about how excited we were for Kuzma. So like, it's probably going to be be some guy we're not talking about for sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and Kuzma too was technically an underclassman. I think he was a red shirt. So he was older, but it's not, you know, I mean, Jalen Bronson, even if he went out and dominated both days of the scrimmage, like at the end of the day, it's not, he has really nothing to gain or, and not all that much to lose in this type of well, setting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's for a guy like that or a guy like Graham, it's kind of the difference between going like mid thirties versus mm-hmm. going like mid fifties. Like if you're, right. if you show really well in the scrimmage, then one of those teams probably pops you in the thirties right. versus if you just kind of look like a scrub, you might either go in the fifties or get right. undrafted. Devonte Graham and Jalen Brunson would help themselves more by turning in a 45 inch vertical than playing really well in the scrimmage for two days or having a longer wingspan than people thought like that. I, that to me mm-hmm. helps players like that more because look, you expect Jalen Brunson to play well. You expect Devonte Graham to play well. If they right. don't, then it's a red flag. If they do, then it's what you expected and there's not that much to gain. But you also, I think they would both hurt themselves by not scrimmaging too. Oh yeah, like that they, would like be a bizarre. You know, like like I know you're saying like they could really. You're you're kind of almost saying they could really only hurt themselves during the scrimmage. But well, not, I don't think they could hurt themselves all that much. Sure, I'm just saying like when you're like going to be 23 in the fall, there's just only so much you can do yeah. with your stock. Uh, last thing, why is Costa Santetokounmpo in this combine? <laughs> uh. That is the 
media scrum I am looking forward to avoiding the yep. most because the amount of questions about his brother are going to reach a level that I, you know, I kind of hope there's a, that, uh, the lady that is usually kind of moderating and like shuffling people in and mm-hmm. out. I, I almost sort of hope that she starts the thing off by saying, please don't ask him about Giannis. Right. Like, you know, it's come on. Happen. Like, it's just like, come on guys. Get that's, away. that's Get one thing I think would be hard about working for a specific local outlet or a team, you know, like the Bucks are going to send their media guys to this event specifically to interview Costas about Giannis. And that's it. Like they're probably, they'll talk to maybe one or two other guys who might be in the mix. At what has Giannis taught you right. about like, just like talk, uh, talk about what Giannis has taught you. Not what has he taught you? Please talk. When did about you, him. when did you realize he was going to be great? Like, right. Do you two think you could become an all-star? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be rough, um, but it should be a fun event. It's fun every year. Um, and we'll be sure to, provide plenty of updates via twitter and i'm sure we'll do a pod probably early next week with our our recap on that is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done